This is the daily lectionary comments for November 18th. Uh, we're going to look. We're going to look at uh, Jeremiah 37, beginning at verse one. The the focus uh, again returns uh, to the impending captivity and uh, uh, and some preaching of uh, Jeremiah uh, to Zedekiah, and also Matthew 27, beginning at verse 33. Some details about Jesus' crucifixion. All right, Jeremiah chapter 37. Jehoiachin, who was Josiah's grandson, was taken into captivity in 597 BC. That was in the major, the major deportation. Um, Jerusalem was not sacked. The walls were not knocked down. The um, uh, temple was not destroyed at that time. And Jehoiachin's uncle, who uh, uh, another son of Josiah, Zedekiah was set up in his place. So Zedekiah began to rule in 597. And then uh, uh, around 588 or so, about 10 years into his uh, reign, a little bit less than that, Zedekiah himself uh, began to revolt against the Babylonians. And now the Babylonians, also called Chaldeans, you'll see it both ways, it'll be, be called Babylonians or Chaldeans. Chaldeans were sort of the major ethnic group of the, uh, of the number of people that made up the Babylonian Empire. So sometimes they'll be called Chaldeans. Anyway, the Babylonians are now surrounding Jerusalem. Zedekiah is pinned up in Jerusalem. Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. This is the, 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 the attack that preceded the sacking of Jerusalem. So and this is going to end badly in the end. But right now, the uh, king is trapped inside Jerusalem, surrounded by the Babylonian armies. And then news comes that an army has uh, left Egypt. And Egypt, the Pharaoh is dispatching an army northward. And the thought is that Egypt is going to intervene and uh, and rescue Jerusalem. Now, actually, it's not that Egypt is all that interested in rescuing Jerusalem, but Egypt is interested in gaining control over the area rather than ceding it to the Babylonians. So the Babylonians hear this and they withdraw from their siege of Jerusalem. And now, at this point, that's where our text picks up. Jeremiah is warning Zedekiah because Zedekiah and all the other leaders and people in Jerusalem take this as a sign that God has spared the city and that the Babylonians are either going to be defeated by Egypt or they're going to go back home, but we have been spared. And Jeremiah makes it abundantly clear, you have not been spared that the Babylonians have withdrawn because of Egypt and what they're doing. But Egypt, the Egyptian army is going to return back to Egypt. They're not coming up here. And when they do that, uh, the Babylonian army is going to return and re-engage its siege of Jerusalem. So that's what Jeremiah is telling uh, Zedekiah here. So uh, Jeremiah's un unhappy uh, job is, you know, when everybody gets excited, when the Babylonian army seem to be in retreat and leaving, uh, and giving up on the siege, uh, Jeremiah's sermon basically is, um, uh, don't count on it, uh, they will be back. And uh, uh, Jeremiah, uh, after this, uh, during the time when the Babylonians had lifted the siege, uh, Jeremiah uh, left Jerusalem 
uh, and he wasn't going anywhere, but he was accused of defecting to the Babylonians and the Chaldeans, which was just a lie. Um, and and uh, so he was thrown in prison. And he was there for quite a while, it says in verse 16, uh, uh, many days. And then Zedekiah secretly sent for him uh, and wanted to inquire uh, whether the Lord had said uh, anything there was any word from the Lord and Jeremiah said yes indeed there is and here it is you shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon so that's again it's, it's Jeremiah's un, unfortunate uh, ministry to be constantly bearer of bad news now, of course we saw uh, chapters 30 uh, through 35 actually very good news 36 even it was very good news uh, but uh, but now we're back into real time, and real time, um, Jeremiah is going to be there uh, for the sack and destruction of um, of uh, Jerusalem. So tomorrow's lesson is going to get us even closer to the great and terrible day. And actually, that will be our last lesson in Jeremiah. After that, the city is sacked. Uh, but uh, at any rate, that's for tomorrow. We're we're done for today for Jeremiah. Matthew uh, 27, beginning at verse 33. This is the account of, of Jesus' crucifixion. And I'm just going to take a look at a few uh, details. It is customary on Good Friday for services uh, to focus on, on what are called the, the, the seven uh, utterances of Jesus on the cross. Traditionally, there are seven different things that Jesus said. And one of them is recorded here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You get seven if you go through all four Gospels. Each Gospel, uh, you know, adds a little here and a little there, something different than Jesus said. None of the Gospels have all seven. And Matthew uh, only uh, only has this one. Um, and it's interesting because it also gives it to you in, in uh, Aramaic. I mean, it gives you actually what he said. Uh, rather than just the Greek translation of it, it does also give you the translation of it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The interesting thing about that, though, why it bothers to give us the Eli, Eli, Lama Samachthani. Why does it say that? And this should tell us something about just how sacred and precious the utterances of Jesus at this particular moment were held by the early Christians. I mean, they even held on to the very words that he used so that when Matthew was writing, he didn't just give a translation. He actually used the very thing that Jesus said. It, it's a sign of just how holy and sacred and special and precious this particular moment was to the early Christians. He's citing the first verse of Psalm 22. And if you read the, first, uh, the whole of Psalm 22, you will see that um, about two-thirds of the psalm is about the terrible suffering of, uh, of, of the psalmist, David. Uh, who is is being persecuted horribly, is rejected by the people, and is suffering uh, violence done to his body. And there's a lot of imagery in Psalm 22 that, that really um, uh, is evocative of a crucifixion, although David wasn't being crucified and, and wasn't referring to a crucifixion. But it's hard not to read Psalm 22 and not see Jesus on the cross. Psalm 22 finishes with these uh, these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, uh, it's a cry from the heart, not an accusation to God so much as, as it's a cry from the heart because 
when when the psalmist is in such deep pain or when Jesus is in such deep pain, the overriding sensation is that they have been forsaken by God. And, and so Jesus um, uh, cries this out. Now, when he cites Psalm 22, that first verse, he, he's not just citing the first verse. He's calling to mind the entire psalm. And again, if you go through the entire psalm, you find out that the psalm starts in this very, very terrible place, but it ends in a note of triumph, that God actually does rescue David from the terrible suffering and that David does um, uh, proclaim the, the, the goodness of God in the congregation of the people uh, and, and, uh, and that many will, will proclaim the Lord's goodness because of how he has dealt with David. And so Jesus, by crying this out on the cross, is not only appealing to his sense of pain and abandonment at that moment, but also the more general confidence that God will rescue him from this. And of course, he will. In three days, Jesus will rise and Jesus will continue to proclaim uh, the goodness of the Lord. And in uh, verse 50, it says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. It doesn't say what he said. But it kind of looks like when you go through the different, uh, uh, when you go through the different uh, Gospels, uh, it, it appears that John would have him being crying out, it is finished. That's what it sounds like. So it is finished. But that, what he said is recorded here, uh, is recorded in John. But here it's just recorded that he, he cried out. Yeah, this very unusual little passage. There's nothing else anywhere in the Gospels about the, the, the saints who had fallen asleep who, who were seen in the city. You need to recognize that. And if you read the verse carefully, you realize that that didn't happen while Jesus was dying on the cross. It happened subsequently after Jesus' resurrection. And it doesn't say how long after Jesus' resurrection. So we don't know whether this was in the several days after Jesus' resurrection or the several months or over a period of years. We, we don't know. And it doesn't say. It's just a sort of a further corroboration uh, of the um, uh, uh, tremendous event of Jesus' death and resurrection uh, here. One final thing, uh, Matthew notes that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Uh, the curtain shielded, it was a very heavy curtain, and it shielded the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies from the main part of, of the temple building. Uh, and uh, even the priests were not permitted to go beyond that curtain. Uh, it, it sort of symbolized the, the, uh, a division between God and the people uh, by which uh, only, only the high priest um, on the Day of Atonement, uh, only on that one day could the high priest actually go on the other side of that curtain uh, to make atonement for the people. But the rest of the time that curtain was there to symbolize uh, you know, the distance between the holy God and, and uh, the sinful people. And by Jesus' death, we are shown that the way is open for us to have a deeper, more intimate access to God since our sins <coughs> are now taken away. Um, access to the temple in heaven is now made open to all God's people. So uh, there's a few details about the, um, uh, about the crucifixion.